0: we just thank you lord four days to go we just want to thank you we just want to praise you we just want to worship you lord for your goodness all we can say is thank you thank you thank you lord you kept us you brought us through we know lord the god who began that good work in us will also finish it complete it so even this morning we surrender ourselves into thy hands, and I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over all of our churches, everyone who is hearing, the blood, the blood, the blood. I pray, Lord, protect us. Once again, touch our ears with your blood, that we may hear, we may believe, we may walk. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Come commit ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen, Amen, Amen. So it's 28, 29, 30, 31, four days. Like we do in school, college, it's revision time. revision. okay? Getting your vision back. Arise and build, okay? So you will not be learning new things. You will be learning old things and maybe a few new things thrown here and there. We go to Isaiah 40 and verse 31, okay? We are setting ourselves apart to wait on the Lord during this season. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Mound up, run, walk. Okay. When we come to the end of the season, especially a time like this, we have to get ready to take off. From 2020 to 2021, we are ready for takeoff. I hope you are. Spiritually, we are ready for takeoff. And uh, for everybody, like I said yesterday, for everybody who wasted time, who missed out, 300 plus days are over, 52 weeks are over. We just got four days left. 52 and a half weeks are over, only four days left. So you may have to do speed up walking won't be enough you will have to run to catch up okay we'll have to run to catch up so let's get moving in second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 Paul at the end of his life okay at the end of the year let's look back i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith Now he is looking in the totality of his life. Let us look at our life of this year, 2020. Okay. And he calls it a fight. Okay. And he calls it a good fight. A good fight. I have fought the good fight. In life, there are battles. Okay. Larger battles, personal battles. Once you are born again, you need to realize your entire life is a battlefield. Okay. And there are different kinds of battle, but the Bible calls it for a believer. It is a good fight. Even in the world you have battles, but it has no eternal significance. So here he says it is a good fight and it is a fight of faith. In First Timothy chapter 1, 18 and 19, Paul says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that you may wage the good warfare. He says, it's a good warfare. Having faith and good conscience, which having some rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. If you do not wage the warfare of faith, you will suffer shipwreck. Okay. So to the believer, this is not an option is compulsory subject to fight this good fight of faith is compulsory what why is it called a battle of faith why is faith brought in over there is because when a believer is born again his primary battle is with sight because that's how we grew up that's how we were programmed we were programmed to live by sight Once you are born again by faith, now we have to live by faith. So, it is a battle of faith and our battle every day is with sight. From the moment our eyes opened up, the battle is with sight. Okay, that's our natural senses, the physical world which we, that is the material world that we live in. In this battle, the enemy comes. Okay, the enemy comes, the personified of all evil, the personified head of that evil is called the devil, the Satan, and he's a thief. In John 10.10, the Bible says, the thief does not come except to, or the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus on the other part, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. The thief comes for what? Okay, to steal, to kill, to destroy. And Jesus comes to give us life. The thief comes through the material world, not the physical world which he has created, but this world on top of that. In that world, the thief comes through that world to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus also comes in that spiritual world to give us life. So remember, if you don't understand, we will get fooled. We have heard this term spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is only a result of faith. If there is no faith, there is no spiritual warfare. There is no spiritual warfare. Because all the enemies, all the enemies are spiritual and not physical. We don't fight walls. We don't fight with our vehicles. We don't should not fight with people. Okay? There are no physical enemies, no material enemies. All the enemies are spiritual. That's why in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says emphatically, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That does not mean we do not flesh, okay, we do not. We fight with flesh and blood, but basically it is saying we should not fight with flesh and blood. We should not, okay, we do not. It's basically saying, okay, when you are encased in spiritual warfare, you are not fighting flesh and blood. But powers of darkness, the whole list is given. These are all familiar. Okay? I'm just going through the initial process. Okay. We do not fight flesh and blood, but we fight powers of darkness. Okay. That's our fight of faith, our first enemy, powers of darkness. Two, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, if you go back to verse 3. Okay. We are walking in this body. We are walking in the body. We are walking in the flesh. What happens is, our weapons are not fleshly. We cannot use fleshly weapons. We cannot use fleshly weapons. Because it will not work. Because the enemy is spiritual. But our weapons are spiritual and they are mighty in God. Third, in Ephesians 6.13, I am sorry I didn't give it to you. In Ephesians 6.13, but it is okay. Put on the full armor of God. You know when you go to war, you got armor. Our armor also is not physical. Okay? Like we put on a belt. But in Ephesians 13, It will, on 14, you will say, put on the belt of truth. Okay, it's okay, it's okay. Belt of truth. Now, is truth physical? No, it is spiritual. So, the entire armor is also physical, sorry, spiritual. So, we have enemies that are spiritual. We have armor that is spiritual and we have weapons that is spiritual. We have to be absolutely clear on this fundamental point. When you go into battle, you have armor. First, you have armor. That's what they do. They put on body armor. When you see the cops and all the soldiers in Kashmir and all, they have body armor. But our armor is spiritual. So, the first thing is that we don't fight. We put on armor. Then, the weapons are spiritual. Third, the enemies are spiritual. Okay, three. In the past teachings, we have identified the enemies two out without and one within there are two enemies outside and one within the outside enemies are one the world two, satan and the third enemy is the flesh and not the body so whenever the bible uses the term flesh it can be used interchangeably but you know when it says when we walk in the flesh it also means we walk in the body Okay, body and in the nature of the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So it means both. Both. Okay, so we have one enemy inside and two enemies outside. When the word, scripture uses the term also the world interchangeably. The world is not people. The world is the system created by the fallen man or Satan has created through the fallen man. The earth and its fullness was created by God. The world system was created by man and it was created by the devil through man. The flesh is not body. The flesh is not body. Simple way to distinguish is this. If When you are looking at me, you see my face, you see my hair, you see my eyes. You see my nose you see my ears you see my mouth that is part of my body but to understand flesh simply to understand flesh to notice that it is spiritual but it is in this body is galatians chapter 5 verses 19 onwards 5 19 onwards now the works of the flesh see like we like jesus talks about can we see the wind we cannot see the wind but we can see the works of the wind We can see the works of the, when you see the curtain moving, right? When you see the branches moving, when you see the leaf falling down, we know the wind is operating in the same way. We can know our flesh operating with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Now let's look at the simple one, hatred. Can you touch hatred? Okay, you cannot touch hatred. It, it, It cannot be seen. You can see it in action. Sometimes you see it in the eyes of people, the venom with which they, if looks could kill. I think it was Shakespeare, if looks could kill, I would be a dead man. I'm not sure who said that, okay? You can see that in their eyes, but you no, know, you can see that. So hatred, contentions, jealousy. Can you touch jealousy? No, but Bible says Saul eyed. David with jealousy, but you could see the works of jealousy. After that, he's trying to kill him or get him killed. Okay. Works of jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies. Okay. Envy, murder, drunkenness, revelry, the like of this. So I can see my body. Okay. Because it's a physical thing, but my flesh is a spiritual thing. So now listen carefully. So when we are fighting this battle, we are fighting a battle on three fronts. One is inward battle with our flesh. The other is an outward battle with the world. And then depending upon how you see yourself. If you see yourself on earth, you are fighting an upward battle with powers of darkness. Or if you spiritually see yourself seated in Christ, you are fighting a downward battle with powers of darkness. So, there is an inward battle with the flesh, an outward battle with the world, or an upward or a downward battle with powers of darkness. So, sometimes when you are depressed, you still have to fight. It will be a downward battle, because the powers of darkness has got advantage over you. But you are on praise, on fire of God, you are fighting a downward battle with powers of darkness. So, get this clear. An inward battle, an outward battle, An upward or a downward battle. Three battlefields we are fighting. Okay. On the other hand, when you come, we are just making it simple. Okay. for Because a lot of people are new in the kingdom of God. When we use the world, like I said, the world is the system in which we live. This world system. We are all operating in this world system in which we live and operate. When we are talking about the world, we are not talking about the inventions of this world. Now we are using internet. The internet does not have a character. It is neutral. Now, I we can use the internet for God, for God's purpose. Somebody can take the internet and use it for evil. Now, what is this two difference? It is, one has, uh, we have brought the kingdom of God into the internet. The other person has brought the wickedness of the world and the world and the flesh into the internet, the world. That's what... Per se, the whole world is not evil. It will not survive that. Okay, there is good and evil in the world because man ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there is good and evil in this world. But the world is that system. And Jesus makes this distinction very clear so that we understand the world in John 17, verse 14 to 19. As we look at the the, the spear of the outward battle, I have given them your word and the world has hated them when does the world start hating us it is when we receive the word of god the world starts hating us not because we listen just not when we believe and become the doers of the word of god the world starts hating us okay starts the world in me itself will start hating the me in the word okay inward battle also begins the world has hated them Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So when you are born again by the word, you are no longer part of the world. And the world starts hating you. Okay, understand that. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. God says, no, I am not praying. Oh, you are born again. Come, die and come. He says, no, you have a purpose to live out. I am not praying that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, Lord, Jesus is praying. Father, keep them. From the evil one drawing them back into the world. Okay? Not stop him from attacking. Attacks will come. But stop us from succumbing to those attacks where we are taken back into the world by the evil one. That's how we praise. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one or deliver me from evil. Two versions are there. One in Matthew, one in Luke. Okay, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus puts us on the same plane. He says, I am the word that became flesh. They are the flesh who is becoming the word. So we both are not of the world. So first we have to make this determination. I am not of the world. Just so that it has to be a comparison. I am. I cannot say I am not of the world as Dr. Richard is not of the world. Dr. Richard will look at Avinash and say, you know what, I am not of the world as... No, that's not the comparison. Then we'll all feel good about each other. That is not the comparison. The comparison is this. We are, I am not of the world Just as Jesus was not of the world. So once you have a target, then only you can aim at something. You need to have a target. When you are running, you have a vision. When you are running for something, you need to know what you are running for. So when you are looking at the world and say, I don't want to be like the world, but who do I look at? Jesus says, I am. Look at how I lived in the world. He was in the world. (laughs) Morning onwards, he was in the world. Till night, he was in the world with the people of the world, but he was not of the world, the religious crowd was all around him, the Jewish system was around him, but they also recognized he was not part of them. They, he was not part of them. it was very, very clear it's not that he isolated, he was not an isolated person. He was apt he was a person who was insulated from the world, he was not isolated from the world, like the electric wire that is going is right through the whole thing. only thing it's insulate. insulation protects us Okay, so he was insulated from the world, he was not isolated from the world. That's what Jesus says in verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify one word of me. Make holy or separate. Keep on separating them from the world unto me. Father, he says, by your truth, your word is truth. That's why we preach the word. One of the purposes of the preaching of the word is that we are insulated by it from the world. Once you allow the word of God to work in you, you get insulated from the world. And the world will hate you. But you're okay with it because you know to whom you belong, and you also know who to whom you do not belong. And verse 18 As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Once we are insulated, God sends us into the world. He okay, says, so Go to the world. The world should not affect you, but go to the world. Why? Now you are a witness of the word. To the world, and Jesus will tell Pilate for this reason I came I am a witness to the truth and everyone who's on the side of truth hears me he says sanctified from the word and your word is truth and what are we a witness we are a witness of the truth in 1 John 5 19 concerning this world the Bible says we know that we are of the world and the whole world now we have to look at that word the whole world lies under the sway it says sway which means influence it does not mean control the whole world is not in the control of the evil one a lot of people his control differs from peace there are some who have been sold out completely to do his will completely to do his will they are wicked co-workers laborers of satan but most are not they're a combination of good and evil but the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Let us think about Hyderabad on an absolutely cloudy day, dark cloud. So the whole city is under this dark cloud, but some places it is raining. But the whole city is under a dark cloud. Humidity is 95% and it could rain anytime. But some places you hear it is pouring over there. So that's the way the world is. The influence of the devil over the world is not the same everywhere. It differs. And what makes a difference is the church. The church makes those pockets where his influence is not heavy. The church is to stand there to make that happen. Old Testament pattern. The, that's why we bring the Old Testament in to understand the New Covenant spiritual facts are seen in the physical truth. Now we are not living in a physical fact, we are living in the spiritual truth howdy. In the Old Testament, Egypt was the world. If you look at Exodus, Egypt was the world. Pharaoh was the type of Satan, the ruler of the world. We need to go to 1 John. Yeah, we saw that, right? Yeah, Pharaoh is a type of Satan, a ruler of the world. And the slavery of the Israelites was the, our type of bondage to sin. They were slaver, slaves in Egypt. Where are they living? In the world. And what is their lifestyle? They are slaves in Egypt. What were we in the world? What were we bondage to sin? We were slaves to sin. And Israel was a type of the believer. Okay, so you have Egypt, the world, Pharaoh, a type of Satan. We have slavery, bondage to sin, and Israel as a type of the believer. Israel leaves Egypt after Passover. Okay, he leaves after. That is, they take the blood of the lamb. They have to apply to the doppos. They eat the lamp that night. They leave. So that is the beginning of Israel's history. That's why God says, "This month shall be the beginning of time for you." Beginning of so, Israeli calendar is not our calendar. Our calendar. I mean, we'll tell you, you know, a lot of people will tell that I have two birthdays. let will say which the day I was born and the day I was born again. Two birthdays. So Israel had a history when Joseph and all went to. Egypt and Egypt Israel had a second history when they came out of Egypt and that is the beginning so the calendar begins with that month that is the most important day for them because they came out of Egypt now it was only after they leave Egypt okay they they started their journey left Egypt that Egypt comes after them keep that in mind it's only when you have left the world of sin you're born again that the world comes after you till then the world doesn't hate you It's only when Israel left Egypt Egypt and Pharaoh came after them And when they, because, because why why is it so important because you need to realize when they were in Egypt and they wanted to leave Okay, wanted to leave. Moses came and told leave. The Pharaoh offered them four compromises. Four compromises. You have to keep that in mind because we need to realize because we are not. See, if, if you know on the day of salvation, you physically left a geographical position, then it's very easy to know. No, I am saved. Why? Because God has said you have to move from Hyderabad to Warangal when you are saved. So I am in Warangal, I am saved. Because we are not in a physical position, it is a spiritual position. We need to be very, very careful that we haven't, our salvation is real, that we have not been deceived by the enemy, that we took the compromises of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is offering compromises. Okay. Let's go to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 25. Okay. Four compromises are given. Four compromises to not to leave Egypt. Okay. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. Okay? Sacrifice to the God in this land. He says, you don't have to go. What do you want to do? You want to worship your God? You want to serve your God? You can serve it here. Serve him here. Worship in this land. So the first compromise that offered by the devil to us is that you can be here and you can serve your God. You can do it my way. You can stay in the land and serve your God. Stay in the land and sacrifice. Stay in the land and worship. Meaning, you can you can be just in the world. There is no need for separation at all. There is no need for separation at all. That's the first compromise that is offered to Israel, and many Christians have accepted that at compromise and they think they are saved, when they are not saved. This is the danger of the salvation. That's why God keeps on asking us to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith or not. Second compromise offered is in 8 when Moses refuses it. 28, Pharaoh said, okay, okay, I will let you go. I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord, your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. And he, he becomes a little spiritual also. Intercede for me. Okay. Don't go too far. That's the second compromise, okay? And you will hear all this compromise, okay? You you can't be like that. Nobody can live like that. Don't, okay, you go. But don't go too far. And pray for me also. I'm not coming to church with you. You go to your church. But pray for me also. But as soon as you finish, come back. I don't want you going through the week. I don't want all this fasting, business, Bible study and all this. Go on a Sunday and come back quickly. Don't even fellowship with them. Come back home and eat. You will see all these compromises are offered. So many compromises are offered. And then they will, and as you are leaving, it says, don't forget to pray for me. Intercede for me. Okay. Second compromise. First compromise, don't go here. Second compromise, go a little because we are doing revision. We need to realize how did we live this life out spiritually. Okay. Third compromise, Exodus 10 verses 10 and 11. He said to them, "The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you." Now he start become counselor also. Okay, not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from the Pharaoh's presence. What does he do? He brings division in the family. Division in the family. He says, "Okay, you men alone go, men alone go. Women and children don't have to go." You can stay back. You want to sacrifice? You go. Men go. Okay. Now church is where the whole family comes. Whenever a family is divided, divided where only the men come or only the women come, you need to realize the world has gotten. The Pharaoh has already, already put his sword over there and divided because you know he knows that. How long will you go? You'll come back, no? Wife and children are here, no? You'll come back, no? Your husband is there, no? You will come back, no? So you need to react. Now, I'm not talking about typical situations where one person alone gets saved. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Christian families. If you look at a Christian family, the minute when one person starts going to the church and other drops of you already know, the enemy has succeeded 50%. 50%. I'm not talking about where in a Hindu family or a Muslim family, one gets saved and the other is not. We are not. That second first Corinthians chapter 7. Everything is Okay. Yes, yeah, God No, everything. We are not talking about that. We are talking about the compromises the enemy brings for Christians, Christian families. Okay. Uh, the, the enemy says, You go, men go. I will stay here. Will sit, go. It's not good for the children. Evil is in your mind. The child is so small. What are you talking about? It's a six-month-old baby. One year old baby. I mean, GTC is three hour service. How can the baby sit there? Look at verse 10. He's a counselor now. Pharaoh is a counselor. The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware for evil is ahead of you. Your little ones? What is this Moses? You don't care for the small ones in the family? You will hear all, I have heard all these stories. Let them sleep. They are so small. No, you go. baby is not waking up. Evil is, who can you think? Pharaoh is becoming very sentimental now. Okay. He's so zealous for your children. This is the same fellow who threw the children into the Nile, Remember? All the fuss bone he said through. Now he's becoming very jealous for the children. You will see this multifaceted personality of the enemy. He will speak from both sides of his mouth. So the third compromise is let the men alone go. Either fuss here, otherwise go but don't go too far or three, let the men go. There's a separation that comes in Christian homes and you will see that happening. Verse 4, chapter 10 and verse 24. Then Pharaoh said to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also. Okay. You are not compromised. Okay. Take your children also. Go, All of you go. But don't take your possessions. Don't take your possessions. Okay. Knowing that ultimately they will come back for your possessions. And what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. God says, as long as you haven't worshipped God with everybody and everything. Okay? Meaning I'm not talking about adult children where you cannot tie the hog tie them and bring them and I'm talking about a family where a husband is a believer, wife is a believer and the children are minors. Whole family goes. There's no compromise over there. It doesn't matter how old they are, whether they are willing or not. There's no question everybody goes and not only everybody goes you go with everything you put everything on the altar you not just dedicate your child to the lord you dedicate everything to the lord then only you have actually been willing to leave the land so when israel left the land they left with everybody and everything okay so that was the physical thing in our spiritual thing we need to realize am i really struggling have i put everything on the altar Have I put my family on the altar? So in our today's case, how do you do? You are a person where half your family does not believe. How do you worship? Answer is, this is how you worship. First, you give yourself over to the Lord. Second, the part of the family or the rest of the family who does not believe, lay them also on the altar. And you walk on. You are not a nasty person. You are not a mean person. You put them on the altar to the Lord and say, Lord, I leave them at your feet and I am walking with you. And all that you have, you put that also on the altar. You cannot drag people because this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. So you understand Old Testament principles and apply it in the new covenant to know Lord. How did I walk in 2020? Did I make compromises in my walk? okay so take a moment and examine our own lives okay because many do not face much conflict in their faith life meaning there is no real spiritual battle because they have made compromises with the pharaoh now i don't face any issues it's because you made compromises with the pharaoh if you make peace with the devil he will leave you alone There's somebody who said if There is no conflict, spiritual conflict in your life. That means you and the devil are headed in the same direction, not opposite, same direction. Okay. We compromise with the Pharaoh. We have agreed to his terms. And your actual battle is not with Pharaoh or Egypt, but with the brethren who chose to leave, who said no compromise. So if you actually look into the lives of those people, they don't fight with the devil. They don't fight with the world. They actually fight with the brethren who have chosen to leave. You know, what are you showing up? What are you going oh, every day this thing? You don't have to act like this. You're making life also difficult for me. You will see within families, in, inside family, this happening. When one child believes and is on fire for God, the other the two or three gets up against him and says, what are you? You suddenly see families. That's what happened to Joseph. His brothers were against him. Why? Because he was not against his brothers. His brothers were against him because Joseph was for his father and was for God. His brothers were not. So you know what? They were hostile to his brothers. Same thing happened to David. Happened to David. His seven elder brothers were hostile to him because... He was for God. He was not against them. Joseph was going to serve his brothers. David was going to the battlefield to serve his brothers. But his brothers are against. What is the reason? Because they have compromised. So what happened to the compromisers in the kingdom of God? They are not fighting the world because they made compromise. They are not fighting Pharaoh because they made peace with him. They are not fighting their flesh. They are fighting their own brethren. So we need to ask ourselves in 2020, whom did you fight? Whom did you fight? Just take a look at 2020. Whom did I fight? You dislike them, you avoid them, you oppose them, and ultimately you leave their company and look for a church that compromises, that agrees with you. That's what happens in real terms in the Christian world. Ultimately you leave their company because you know what, I, I, I can't live with these people, these people are crazy. I cannot live. I need to find a church where I am more comfortable. And they'll use very good. So devil is very good arguments. He can give you excellent arguments for any decision you take against God. Okay? So there is a physical land and a physical boundary. Okay? But we are looking at the spiritual. We are looking at the spiritual. Like it was physical, it was very easy. Every Israelite could have said, "Yeah, I left because he left." But it is very difficult. Each one only knows whether you have where you have left, where you are. Nobody knows because this is spiritual. Okay, each one. So let me ask this hypothetical question. Okay, simple question. When they had killed the Passover lamb, and applied the blood, and stayed inside. And the destroyer passed over Egypt. That's what happened on that day. They applied the blood, stayed inside the house, and the destroyer passed. All who were under the blood were saved. The destroyer passed over. Okay. In Exodus 12 and verse 31, what happens when that happened? Then the Pharaoh called called Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise! Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. What did the Pharaoh say? Go. My question is, hypothetical question is that, what if some Israelites chose to stay back? Now the destroyer has passed, okay, they got blood on their doorpost. What if they chose to stay back? We like it here. It's too much uncertainties. Moses doesn't know where he is going. We have never traveled that way before. Too much uncertainty. We would like to stay here. What would be? What would be? Like I said, this is spiritual. That was physical, so we know everybody left. What if some of them chose to stay back? Lots of Christians have received the work of Christ, the Lamb of God, in their lives. But they have never really left the land of Egypt. Therefore, their conflicts and problems are exactly the same as the conflicts and the problems of people in the world. And they think it is a spiritual conflict. It is not. Let us say, I have a neighbor on my left, let us say, who is uh, Hindu and a neighbor on my right it is a muslim and i'm in the middle and i have never left the land i just accepted christ and never left egypt he has trouble in his family he has trouble in his family i have trouble in my family it is all the three same i cannot say my trouble in my family is because of my faith because i never left the land i'm telling you this is one of the reasons You can pray for Christians for their problems and it never changes because their problems are not spiritual. It is not because of a spiritual conflict. This is not because of a spiritual battle. This is not a battle of faith. It is simply what is happening to everybody because they never left the land. They never left the land. They chose to stay back. That's what I'm saying. Hypothetically think about people who chose to stay back. And there's no point counseling them. (laughs) There's no point counseling them. Because the thing is that your problems are not going to change until you leave Egypt. Because every solution in the Bible is for people who have left Egypt. Left Egypt. You tell me till Exodus 13. 30, uh, sorry, 1231. That chapter, 13 is when they leave. Tell me one instruction he tells, gives Israel. Nothing. What can you tell people who haven't left? They come, they're nice people, they come, they sit in the church, they sleep, they enjoy, they get up, in fellowship and go. Nothing is changing in their life because they have never left the land. And God does not have anything to say to them. Nothing. So, ultimately, they will go to secular counselors and psychiatrists and secular wisdom. You know why? Because spiritual wisdom does not apply to them, because they have not taken that second step. Only thing they did is put the blood of Jesus. And are they saved? Hypothetically, yes. But we don't know. That's why Jesus says, your works will be tested by fire. You will just come through the flames. Just come through the flames. Many of them. Nothing else will be counted. If their foundation stone was correct. You cannot live by faith in Egypt. You can live in Egypt only by sight. Because the second step of faith is to leave. The first step of faith is to believe in the Passover lamb. For us, it is Jesus Christ. First step of faith. Second step of faith is leave. Go. Go. God says leave, Pharaoh says go. Second step of faith. So we need to ask ourselves, did I take the second step of faith? Okay, That is what he says, go. Because the exit, in biblical terms, Exodus, takes place in Exodus 13. Okay, Exit, we are exiting spiritually from this world. I am leaving this world. Okay, we are not dying, we are leaving this world spiritually. Exit is your second step of faith. Every other lesson is after that. So if you want to continue further, whoever is listening, if you haven't passed the sentence of death to this world in your heart, do it now. Then only the next lessons are applicable. Otherwise it will not make sense. Okay. If you have not exited, The question is, what are you going to do with the lessons? What are you going to do with the lessons? That is why these four compromises are important. Because they are checkpoints. They are checkposts God has put over there. Before you can be very sure, you have left the land of Egypt into the way God is showing us. God says, check. Did you make this Compromises? you make these compromises? Are you worshipping in the land? Or have you left but you didn't go too far? Or you just went alone and left the rest at home? Or did you just take everyone but you left your possessions behind? You have to look at this four. Because spiritually you will not progress any further. Because when Israel took step two, they left, they took everyone, they took all their possessions. And they were willing to go the distance, God said. Three days journey out of Egypt completely. They crossed the border. Okay. That is the question we need to ask. Remember, this is the call of salvation. There is a call of salvation. There is a purpose of salvation. If you don't understand the purpose of salvation... You have not understood the call of salvation. There is a call of salvation and there is a purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation itself is made very clear. Exodus 7, 16, many times repeat, I am just giving you two verses. That you shall say to him, the Lord God of Hebrews has sent me to you, to the Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. That's not enough. Let my people go. What is that? call of salvation purpose of salvation that they may serve me in the wilderness that's the purpose of salvation in that one line there is a call and there is a purpose okay jesus also says come unto me that's a call of salvation all who are weary and heavy laden that's a call of salvation purpose of salvation take my yoke upon you my yoke is light my, my my yoke is uh, not heavy. and My burden is light. That is the purpose of salvation. You cannot have one without the other. And anybody who is trying to sell you is selling your dream. It is not true. There is a call of salvation and there is a purpose of salvation. The call of salvation is let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Let my people go. That is the call of salvation. They may serve me is the purpose of salvation. In the wilderness is the place of salvation. So there is a call of salvation, there is a purpose of salvation, and there is a place of salvation. It is not in Egypt. So we are still in the world, but the world is a wilderness for us. You have to see how do you see this world. You see the world as a wilderness. It's a wilderness. So there is a call, there is a purpose, and there is a place. The other words also we will see eight eight. Okay. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people. I will let the people go that they may sacrifice. So in your service there has to be sacrifice. You cannot have service without sacrifice. God does not accept it. Because God's service to us was in the ultimate sacrifice of his son. God does not say God so loved the world. He says God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So, there is service and sacrifice. So, there is a call of God. There is a purpose of God. In that purpose is what? Service with sacrifice. Not without sacrifice. Service with sacrifice. And there is a place of the call. The place of God will differ, change from the wilderness. Ultimately, they will go into the promised land. But first, everybody, it is the wilderness. Therefore, can you receive the call of salvation and refuse the purpose of salvation? I'll leave it open to you to decide. Can you receive the call of salvation and receive the, the refuse the purpose of salvation? If you do that, you are in a very, very dangerous place. Meaning, God says leave, Satan says go, and you choose to stay back in the world. You choose to stay back in Egypt. What would your ultimate fate be? Yes, you put the blood. But but can you stay inside the house alone without stepping out into Egypt? You will die of starvation inside. You have to step out. But if you step out, your protection is gone. Your protection after that is only when you leave. There is no protection in Egypt. Understand spiritual complications. okay? This is the picture of the last day's church in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 and 17. This is how you apply Old Testament to New Testament. This is the seventh church. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, he's telling this church, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. What is he saying? He says, you are lukewarm. Yeah, verse 16 says, you are lukewarm. You are neither cold. What does it mean? You are not an Egyptian. You are not an Egyptian. You are not hot. You have not left. Where you are on fire for God. You are lukewarm. You are an Israelite living in Egypt. What do I call you? You are not cold. If you are cold, I would say you are an Egyptian. You are not on fire. Then I could say you are an Israelite in the in the wilderness. Ready on the way to the promised land. You are neither cold nor hot. Where are you? You are an Israelite living in Egypt who refused to leave. That's what you are, lukewarm. And what happens? Because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will. you are in an extremely dangerous position. I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Meaning, your protection will go. You will cease being my witness you will have no life that represents me. Because your mouth is your tongue, is your word, is your witness. When God says, I'll spew you out of my mouth, He will say, you will cease being my witness. And if you look at it, it is the truth. When we were Christians, within courts in the world, we had no witness. There was absolutely nothing different from us and the world. We had no witness at all. We were just like them, talked like them, lived like them, Behaved like them, and we had a Christian name. We had a Christian name. okay. And this is what God is saying. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, but you actually do not know your actual state, your spiritual state. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the Israelite who refused to leave. He chose to stay back. So first, make this very, very clear. Okay, now think for a minute. Another hypothetical question. Okay. What if the Pharaoh calls Moses and says, I have changed my mind about you people. I saw the power of your God. I changed my mind. I hereby make a proclamation. All Israelites are free today. They don't have to go anywhere. They are given equal citizenship in Egypt. They are on par with the Egyptians from today. The question is, what will you do? Because this is how the devil fools you. That's how the devil fools you. But there it is a physical thing. What happens is a spiritual thing. The devil said, Pharaoh makes a proclamation. I understood the power of your God. Nobody has to leave. Today there is a royal edict. What is that? Every Israelite is a free citizen of Egypt. You are given full citizenship with ownership of everything that you have. It's yours. You can live here, worship your God here. You can do all here. But you still haven't forgotten. What was the call? Leave and make a three-day journey into the wilderness. The call has never changed. Pharaoh can keep on changing. He can say whatever he wants. The call of God has never changed. Our problem is we take our eyes off Pharaoh, of God and look at Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh says I can stay here and be myself, be an Israelite and I can worship God in my own way. Pharaoh will not interfere. Your own way. Equal citizenship. But we still forgot the, forgot the call. What is the call? Leave. Make a three day journey and serve me and worship me there, not here. So, what happens? Okay. The problem is, if he had said that, most of them would not have left. They loved Egypt. They liked Egypt. Okay. It took 40 years for them to forget Egypt. They would not have left. So, the question is, if they did not leave, what can you teach them? I said, did Israel, God teach Israel one lesson before they left? No. Nothing. The only lesson is the lesson of the blood eat the Passover lamb. Other than that, he taught them no lesson. Okay. So the church is hypothetically looking, comprised of three groups. Those who, after applying the blood of the Passover lamb, chose to live in Egypt. They said, we like it here. We like it here. Remember, When they came to the promised land, one group said, we want to live on this side, we don't want to cross over, we like it here. So imagine, in the current world, there is a set of people who chose to live in Egypt. They like Egypt. And they are relatively happy. Because there is no challenges. They are happy with Egypt, Egypt is happy with them. They don't have spiritual challenges like the others do. They have normal problems like Egyptian problems. They have problems of Egypt. They don't have problems of Israel. Okay? Spiritual. Then there is the second group who left, but they are wandering in the wilderness. They are wandering, wandering. They are miserable. This is the complaining, grumbling, long-faced, miserable people in the wilderness. They left. They left. But they are miserable. And there is a third group who have entered into the promised land. And they are. Fighting. They are fighting. So God's teachings are for those who have entered into the promised land and are fighting. He has not he has no lessons for others. The lesson for the others it's just theory. There's no practical there. Theory is irrelevant. You can do, like many of our people in the church, they have done an engineering degree from some of the best institutes in the world and doing business. Business in the sense, they are working with companies and what they learned and what they do now has got no relevance at all. Are you getting it? Everything God taught them through the law, which happened in the wilderness, they never practiced. It's just theory. It was not practical. Where does practical begin? In the promised land. In the promised land. So there is one set of people living in Egypt. One set of people wandering in the desert. It is of no use. The lessons they have learned in the church. What God has taught of their readings. is of no use to them. Because they have never crossed. Once you cross, it is not theory. All you learned, it is a lab. You are understanding through the battles. The reality of faith. Power of God, the joy of winning battles, and when you get licked in a battle, you get up and fight again. It all happens only on that side. It does not happen in the wilderness. Wilderness battle is different; it's a completely different thing. Okay, so so many who are hearing have to ask ourselves: Where am I in this journey? Because it's a spiritual. The New Covenant is spiritual. The truth may be very difficult. And different there could be a part of you that has settled in Egypt there could be a part of you that's wandering in the wilderness there could be a part of you fighting in the promised land you could be a split person one side leave me alone leave me alone that is very well settled in Egypt another side is wandering in the wilderness Another side is fighting in the promised land. Because in the spiritual, this is true. Some areas, you cannot talk about that to people at all. Even if I don't think, even if God comes and speaks to them, they will listen. This is my way and no other way. They are well settled in that area in Egypt. In other areas, they are still struggling. They are struggling. They are not settled. That area they have left. They know. They are in the wilderness. which wilderness There is no peace. They are struggling there. The struggle is there. But in some areas, they are fighting and winning the spiritual. Okay? So, please understand the difference between the physical and the spiritual. Our whole idea is to bring the entire man into the promised land and not be split. Okay? And until you are not in the promised land and fighting, you are not made whole. If you use the terms Jesus used, you may be just healed you are not made whole and Christ Jesus came to make us whole okay it's a process like i said in the beginning if you have not left egypt your struggles are different just like the world in the world your struggle in the wilderness your struggles are different in the promised land your battles are different all three places there are battles but they're completely different The minute you make a decision to leave the world and move out, the world will come after you. Exodus 14, verse 5 and 7, 5 to 7. Now it was told, the king of Egypt, that people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have you done this, that we have left Israel go from serving us? Then he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. When did this happen, verse 5? When they left. When it was told, the king of Egypt, the people had fled. The day you decide, post salvation, okay, you decide to leave this world. If you are the only one saved in your family, all hell breaks loose. Okay? The family comes after you. The neighborhood comes after you. The entire society comes after you. And they call you a, you have betrayed. That's it. As long as you don't, as long as you quiet, secret believer living in the world, nobody knows. Nobody knows this. You go with them. Wherever they go, whichever place of worship they go, they don't go anywhere. You also don't go anywhere. No issues. Your faith is only known to you. Nobody else knows it. There's no trouble. But the day you say, Dad, Mom, Husband, Wife, whatever, I believe and I am going to this place, you will realize the world starts coming out. That news will spread like crazy. Okay. Meaning, you could, you could imagine this is not alcohol, this is green tea. Okay, imagine I was an alcoholic. I was not, but I'm saying imagine I was an alcoholic and I got saved and I stopped drinking. My wife loves it. Why did he stop drinking? Just like that. I don't tell her the real reason. She's excited. Oh, he stopped drinking. It tells the whole neighborhood. But imagine she's a very, very conservative Muslim or Hindu or whatever. Or even Christian nominal. And then I said, you know, I accepted the Lord today. I went for this church. In that meeting, I got saved and I have quit drinking. And from now onwards, I am going to the church. You know what? She is not at all happy about my change. She will not tell anybody that I have quit drinking. She will tell everybody, my husband has left the faith. I have seen it happen. She will not say, husband has stopped smoking. She will not say, my husband has stopped screaming at me. She will not say any of those things. Any of those things. Because none of those things matter. The fact is that you left the world in which I am comfortable. Okay. That is what the word is saying. When it was told the king of Egypt, the people had fled. What did he do? He got his forces and came after them. Okay we need to realize this is how hard. so there are battles in Egypt ok when you leave the battle when you leave begins there are battles in the wilderness there are battles in the promised land three stages stage one you need to understand wherever you are hearing wherever you are please listen carefully when you leave Egypt and Egypt comes after you you do not fight Israel never fought a single battle in Egypt. God fought for them. You do not fight. You do not fight. You don't say anything to your father. That's what I everywhere I tell them. Shut your mouth. Don't tell anything to your father. If you say, shout, screams, don't say anything. Mother gets upset. Don't say anything. Just be quiet and honor them. Don't fight with them. If you're a wife, husband is an unbeliever, zip your lip, don't say anything. Why? Because... God will fight your battle. You don't fight. If you fight, you are in the wrong place because you look in stage one, they didn't fight any battle. Look at different scenarios. A child gets saved. The whole family is unbelieving. Keep quiet. Don't fight. Don't fight. Joseph did not fight his father or his brothers about God's vision about him. He did not fight. Stay quiet. David did not fight with his father for not calling him. Fight with his brothers. Nothing kept quiet. Don't fight. Because God will fight for you. If you are a wife who got saved, the husband and all, don't fight. Any scenario, you look at it, don't fight. Because you have to understand, because we are in a battle of faith. You have to understand how to fight this. Shut your mouth. Witness. Testify. Let your life be your witness. Okay? That's what I said. It's not your words. It's your life. They will see. They will be mad. They will be angry. Everything keep quiet. Right. They look at it and say, you know what? My daughter, my son's life has actually changed. Okay. Be the best you can be in Christ. Keep your mouth shut. They may not be happy for all. Religious people are never happy until you follow their religion. Okay. They are religious. A religious mindset. Like, you no. Know, even Pilate looked at it and said, there's no, no guilt in him. And they knew they handed over for envy. They could find no fault with Jesus at all, but the religious crowd hated him because he was not part of him. Part of them. Okay? So please understand strategy, how you fight stage one battle. When you leave, you don't fight the same way. Lot of people make the mistake is that When they get saved, and then they start fighting in the family. No, I don't care. This is what, I will not do this, I will not do this, I will not do this, I will not do this. And I don't care what you say. They fight with their father, they fight with their mother, they fight with their spouse. They fight, 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 I know. And they wonder, what has happened to me? No joy of salvation, nothing. Because you did understand first principle of stage one fight. What is that? Shut your mouth. Be a witness, but don't fight. God will fight for you. I'll give you an example. Peter. First Peter chapter 3. I didn't give it. Chapter 3 and words 1 and 1. 1 is enough. 1 and 2. Wife, wives, likewise, this is a principle in the kingdom of God. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husband. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. What does the Bible say? Your husband doesn't believe. Shut your mouth. Don't fight. Don't fight. You will be won over when they see the Christ in you. That's the only way. You don't fight. You don't say, I am this thing, my rights and this thing, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You don't bring all those into constitution over there. This is the kingdom of God. Just shut your mouth. And your very life will prove. Very life will prove to them. You know what? There is something. It may take some time. It may take a long time. But it does not matter. I love God. God will change the situation. I love God to fight your battle for you. Why I'm saying is because in our church we have this huge crowd of people who come from non-believing families. Eighty percent, sixty, seventy, eighty percent, and. Uh, Situation is different. So, how do you fight your battle? This is the way you fight your battle. Okay? But God has an answer. Right? God has an answer. So, when Egypt is coming after you, the world is coming after you, what was God's answer to Israel? His answer to Israel was, go through the Red Sea. God had an answer. God didn't leave. He didn't leave them alone like that. He said, I have an answer. Come here. And he parted the Red Sea. He took them through the Red Sea and then closed the Red Sea behind them. So God had an answer for them. It is not that God just took them out and left them in the mercy of Pharaoh and the world. No, he had an answer for them. What was his answer? He took them through the Red Sea. When they took them to the Red Sea, you will see they never had to fight Egypt again. So when the world comes after you, what is God's answer? You have to look. Acts chapter 2. It is not prayer and fasting. It is not binding and loosening. It is not, you need to look at answer. No, I have been fasting for so many years and my husband has never changed at all. That's a different thing. Are you praying for his salvation or are you trying to escape the operation? So two different things. Two different things. No, because of my faith, the husband is after me, my whole household is after me. Hey, that is the world pursuing you. That's a different thing. Okay? Now, praying for your salvation of your husband, you fast and pray. That's one thing. Escape that oppression, that's a different thing. a different thing. You will have to understand the nature of the battle and you have to look at the upper. That's why even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the, do not bring human understanding and You have to look at how God. So look at this. Act when the church begins. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from whom? This perverse world. That is after you. This perverse generation. What is it? And those who gladly received his word were baptized. That was the answer. What is the answer? Baptize. What is God's answer? Go through the Red Sea. Answer is baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is when you go under the water and come out, you say, I have died to that world. When they came through the water, they died to Egypt. The fact that Egypt died behind them is a different factor. But the fact is that they died to Egypt. They are never going, going to go back that generation At least it's never going to go back to Egypt. The world has died to them. The world has died to them. Are you getting it? Is everything working? One second. Okay. What is God's answer? Baptism. And verse two. Next one. Yeah. And the, okay. Did I give you? Yeah. Forty forty one. Let's let's stay there. Let's stay there. Okay. Those who gladly received His word were baptized. So you have to gladly receive that word of separation. If you don't gladly receive it, that's why. It, what did God tell Israel? Be haste. Tuck your cloak in your belt. Eat in haste and get ready to leave. That's what it means. Thessalonians, in much affliction, they received the word of God gladly. They received the, meaning, you cannot just preach the word of God without preaching the word of separation. Because you have to be saved from this word. And those who receive, those who receive it reluctantly, leave them alone. They won't receive it. But those who receive gladly were baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. What happens actually in baptism? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Look at that, Israel is coming out of the red uh, out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. And they cross over to the other side. When they cross over to the other side, it is a new life. They are never going back to their old life. The world, Egypt, is dead for them. God says, do you understand the reality of your baptism? When you went into the water, you were buried to your old life. You died to that old person. When you rose up, you rose up as a new person in Christ. So whatever the world tells you should not affect you because you are dead. Like I said, if you kick a dog, it will bite you. But if you kick a dead dog, it doesn't bite you. You can kick as much as you want. He says you have to live in the reality of your baptism. People confuse this baptism. People think I am saved by baptism. No, you are saved by believing in the work of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's your salvation from the penalty of sin. Your baptism is your salvation from the world. These are two different aspects of salvation. I am saved from the penalty of sin. When I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, the death angel passes over me. But I am not still saved from the world until I am baptized, until I leave Egypt. If I choose to stay in Egypt, the Egyptians will kill me, not the angel of death. The world will destroy me it is not the angel of death it is self destruction because I chose to live in that place the world itself in its hatred will kill me so God says get out now what is the new covenant process it is the process of coming through the waters of baptism so that is the second thing now the question is I am dead to the old life that's not enough I have to be alive to the new life Alive to the new life. Go to Acts chapter 2 again. We read 41, right? Now, 42. I am dead to the old life. That's not enough. You are alive to something new. What is the new? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. What happens? The church becomes your new life. New life. Church becomes your new life. And what is it written over there? They continued steadfastly. Those two things are, they continued steadfastly because they entered into a new life. These are Jewish people entering into the church. The church has begun. Now they are learning from the apostles. They are learning about the kingdom of God, the doctrine of Christ. How should I live this new life? And what are they learning? Earlier they fellowship with the world. All were unsaved fellowship with everyone who was unsaved now they are fellowshipping with those who are saved fellowship has changed earlier also you had fellowship now also you have fellowship what has happened life has changed doctrine has changed fellowship has changed breaking of bread which means judgment Also part of fellowship, judgment. You are starting to judge yourself based on doctrine and fellowship. And now you are gathering together for prayer. Life has changed completely. And there is a radical shift that happens. Read further down. You will see that fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the meaning. The power of God is moving in the separated community. The power of God will not move in an unseparated community. Community, The unseparated community, to get them out all the world, so was the judgment of God upon the world. But they did not experience anything else. What are they experiencing? They are experiencing the power of God in a separated community. If you are not separated, God cannot do wonders and signs among you. You may receive a miracle from somebody else, but you do not experience the wonder and the sign of God because you are not separated. And verse 44, all who believed were together. They were a family. All had things in common. Okay? The physical example is that if you look into a home, a home, actual family home, the family has everything in common. Right? When you come, when you, when I sat down to have dinner yesterday, we all sat down and ate. When I go back to have dinner tonight, uh, maybe the plate in which I ate last night, my wife must be eating, because it's not written back, it's not like a hostel where your name is written, right? It's all in common, yeah? Everything, the shower is common, the water is common, things, only clothes, is the, I mean, boys, if they're twins, they wear the same clothes also. Everything, right? It's in common, we don't bother about these things, only toothbrush will say, don't touch my toothbrush. Everything is common. Nobody, if the son takes the father's trouble. there is the father shout at you. Oh, no, he doesn't. Where is your trouble? He'll say, oh, I, I can't find it. Okay, use mine. Everything is in common. Now, we are not talking in that per se, but understanding, they had all things in common. They were living a life together, meaning they were sharing each other's burdens. They saw themselves as a spiritual family. The spiritual had become more real than the physical. Remember on Sunday we heard Jesus telling his mother, his mother and his brothers came and they sent word to ask for him. And he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? All those who are sitting here who does the will of my father. He's, he's completely transforming the family. He says, a family has, you. you have a physical family. You stay there, you love them, you care for them, all that. But you now have an alternate reality, which is even more real than the other one because if they do not get saved, they pass away. But this is for Ever and ever. A lot of Christians don't come to that. And they struggle. When people like me come to that reality. My family struggles. Struggles. They struggle. How can you how can you say that's your family? How can you love that one like as if it's your own son? How can you say that's my true brother? They get they get upset. But this is the reality. They had all things in common. No. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Think about it. The physical family. If my physical, real physical family, unsaid family were to know how much I spent on my spiritual family, they will go crazy. They will go crazy. The thing is that I cannot make a distinction because this is God's distinction. God's distinction. Okay, because the spirit of God is, I keep simple examples, I'll tell people, when I preach on missions, I will tell them, you have a brother and he is ill and in the ICU, flesh and blood brother from your family. Will you not rush to the ICU and suddenly you will have a husband, your brother's wife says, uh, we don't have enough money, he will say, don't worry, we will go pull out the money, we will do all that, right? The question is, will you do that for somebody in the church? Will you do that for somebody to whom you actually spiritually belong? It's a question God asked. And they did. They did. They did. Okay. Now, in a typical Christian's life, this is what? This is my family, flood and flesh and blood. Any problem? I am there for you. But anybody in the church has trouble? If I have, I will give you. This becomes charity, this becomes life. But in the kingdom of God, it's the other way. This becomes charity, this becomes life. The division has come. A division has come. And it is very difficult for people to understand that and accept it, but this is the reality of the kingdom. You look at every statement Jesus makes connected with that after his baptism, you will realize the division has come. He got baptized, he rose again. First statement. Son, they have run out of men. What has that got to do with me, woman? Is he being disrespectful? He knows. He says, You are, I am on this side, you are on this side. You are on two different sides, mommy. I love you, mommy. But you are not accepting the fact. If you come on this side, you would have understood everything that I am trying to tell. You would become part of my flesh and blood family and my spiritual family. My joy would have been double. But the problem is you are standing on that side. And you will always see the rest of the family stood around with her. And he was alone. His mother and his brothers came. His mother and brothers came. It is written. It is not that his mother was with him and his brothers came. It is never written that way. It is the other way it is written. So you will see it goes through history. These battles are there. So, the sword has to go through your soul. Okay. Even when you go to work, when you go to work, what happens? Your body goes to work. But the soul is firmly in the kingdom of God. That is Joseph in Egypt. Is he working for Potiphar? Yes. Is he working in the world? Yes. But the Lord is with him. He knows absolutely clearly who he belongs to. And therefore, there is no compromise in his workplace. He's a hard-working man with integrity. His master looks at him and says, You know what? I can trust him. I can rely on him. On the other hand... If his master was, see, a lot of places, masters don't like those kind of workers because they are crooked and they want their employees to do crooked things. And that fellow says, I can't do it. Then he gets into trouble. That is persecution because of righteousness sake. But if your sphere of work is righteous and the master is also kind of righteous and he's not asking you to do and he prospers, he likes you. Just no issues. So, like I said, please note, when Pharaoh came with his army, God did not tell them to fight. Don't fight. Don't fight the world. Don't fight the flesh. Don't fight. Go through the waters. Go through the waters. Israel came through the waters. Egypt did not. You came out a new person. The world did not become new. The world is still the old. It has not. That is why I keep telling if you keep going back to the world and you are very comfortable with the world there is something wrong with you because you have become new. The world is still old it is perishing, you are not the world is perishable, you are imperishable. What has the imperishable and the perishable got to do together? It has got nothing to do with it. How can they live together? The world is the old decaying world it may look glittering outside but inside it is core, it is corrupt it is rotten It is being destroyed. You, on the other hand, inside is imperishable, being renewed from glory to glory. How can these two walk together? How can these two walk together? And we have to ask these fundamental questions. These are fundamental questions of salvation you ask at the end of 2020. When I went to the world, how did I go into the world? Did I go like Jalian? Did I go like David? Did I go like Joseph? How did I go? How how real was my baptism? And KJV uses a very good term in Romans 6.11. KJV, you know. It's an old English term. I like that word. 6.11. Can I have it? And then we'll go to Exodus. It didn't come. Likewise, reckon. Now, we, we, we don't use reckon unless you read Western novels. You no, know? you don't use the word. Reckon means consider. Likewise, reckon Ye also yourselves to be dead. That's what every day morning have to wake up and say, You know what? Look in the mirror and say, You know what? I am dead. And the new man is alive. Consider yourself dead. Where did you die? When did you die? When did Israel die to the world? Israel did not die. Israel died to the world. When did they die? To Egypt? In the Red Sea. When did we die? in the waters. You don't have to keep ba- getting baptized over and over every day. Then you will have to get ba- baptized every day. No. You have to remember that you know what? I died. I died. I'm not going to react. No. I'm going to react. My father shouts at me for my faith. I'm not going to react. My wife shouts at me for my faith. I'm not going to react. My husband shouts at me. I'm not going to react. Okay. My children get mad at my faith. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to react. Why? Because I died to the basic Principles of this world, I died. That's your baptism. That is your baptism. So that is a different, completely different thing. We are just going to close in a few minutes. Exodus 17, verse 8. Okay? This is a little later. Uh, okay? Yeah. Now they have come. Now they have come where? Into the wilderness. This is the first attack. First attack. Amalek came and fought with eight and nine, we can have. okay? Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now look at that. What happens there? And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Look at the completely different. Now, Pharaoh and his army came to fight them. God said, no fighting. No fighting, I'll make a way for you, go through that way, come on to the other side. Here on the other hand, a little later in the desert, in the wilderness, Amalek came and fought with Israel. God says, fight them. It's a different battle. The battle in the desert is a different battle. You have to fight. You cannot, be keep, you cannot keep quiet here. Oh, I will apply that principle. It won't work. It won't work. You will fail miserably. You have to fight this battle. That's what I said, the battle in Egypt, when you leave Egypt, the battle in the wilderness, and the battle in the promised land are different battles. They are not the same battle. And therefore the weapons we use are not carnal, they are mighty in God, they are not fleshly weapons. We have to understand we use the right weapon for the right battle. When you are leaving Egypt and you face this world behind you, you are fasting and praying, it's not going to work, they shut your mouth. Shut your mouth and move on. Just be dead in your baptism. I'm not going to react to anything they say. And I'm going to be alive. I'm going to be kind to them. And I'm going to be alive in the things of God. I'm not going to die to that. No, I'm going to, I'm not going to die to that. Meaning if you're a wife who's not allowed to go to church, you will still meditate upon the word secretly. Day and night you will secret. And you will have fellowship whichever way you can find somebody somewhere quietly, secretly on the phone. You fellowship, you pray. You break bread, you do, you mean, I will live that new life, even if I am alone, I will live that new life. That's how John the Baptist lived that life in the wilderness. Alone he lived that life. Joseph lived alone that life. I'm sure Joseph in Egypt, he separated man, he meditated upon the word day and night, he did his prayers, he ate his kosher food, he did it alone, and he fellowship with God because he had nobody to fellowship with. you know, meaning you are not going to fight. When you have left Egypt, when Egypt comes after you, you have to die in your baptism. But at refidim, at refidim, when the second battle begins, somebody comes after you, that is Amalek comes after you. God says, You have to fight. You have to fight. You cannot use that principle, you will lose. So if after applying the blood of Jesus on the lentils of your doorposts, meaning believing in the blood of Jesus, believing in the death of Jesus for your salvation, for the penalty of your sin to be forgiven. If you choose to stay back in Egypt, you are living on borrowed time. You are living on very dangerous terrain. This is what the New Covenant says about it. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Egypt is the world adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, because that is physical, this is spiritual. Let me explain to you how it happens. Imagine Israel left, okay? After the ten plagues, Pharaoh said, go, go. And Israel, six hundred thousand men left. Five thousand men chose to stay behind with their families. Think about it for a minute. Five thousand men chose to live behind. The rest left. What is the fate of those five thousand men? Egypt would go after them. Right? Go after them. And there is no God to protect them. The God of Israel would not. Protect them. The God of Israel has gone with the, those who left. Now they are on their own. Egypt would go after them. You know what happens when you don't separate in the new covenant? What happens? God just leaves you alone, allows the world to destroy you. And because it is gradual, you do not even realize it, that you are being destroyed. You have become an enemy of God. He'll say, no, I am saved. I go to church. But you are being destroyed. How are you being you have becoming exactly like the world. And when the judgment of the world comes from God, you will be consumed by that same fire with the world. So separation is not an option. In their case, it would have been immediate if those Israelites had not loved this thing. And the Pharaoh comes back with some of his remaining chariots and all who did not get in the Red Sea, he would have said, come and slaughter every one of them. If finished, they would have taken revenge. But in this case, it is different. The devil is very, very subtle. He takes his revenge. But very subtly, he gets the world in. And then what happens? He will allow, God will allow the world to destroy you. Allow to destroy you. And this is the danger which people don't understand. So people, when we talk about separation, it is a fundamental new covenant principle. It is not an option. It is not an option. So you have to die to the world and be alive. To, I put it this way: so when you go through the waters of baptism, like Israel went through the Red Sea, you have to die to the world life and come to the other side and be alive to the word life. One is sight; the other is faith. Other is faith. When you come to the wilderness, no one has gone this way before except Moses. Moses knows the place. Because he lived in the wilderness for 40 years. Keep your eyes on Moses and follow him. Keep your eyes on Jesus and follow him. But wilderness is a different story. So as I close, I leave you with four questions. First question. Have I believed in the blood of God's only son? God's solution to man's sin. The sacrifice of his son on the cross. Have I believed in that completely? In that alone and stayed under the blood? That's the first question. Second question. If so, where am I? After that, where am I? Am I trying to stay back in Egypt? Or have I crossed? Okay. If I have crossed, where am I in 2020? Am I in the desert? Still fighting Amalek? That we will look tomorrow. Still fighting Amalek? Or am I in the promised land fighting to possess my possessions? I am not fighting Amalek anymore. Amalek has been taken care of. Now what I am fighting is I am conquering. Every every battle in the the wilderness is not a possession. You are not conquering anything. So that's not your possession. Your possession is a cross. Okay? You may have incredible victories in the wilderness but you have possessed nothing. You have possessed nothing. Okay. But you have to fight these battles. But you are not possessing anything. So you be very careful about where am I? Am I in the wilderness? In the desert fighting Amalek or I have dealt with Amalek or dealing with Amalek on a regular basis but I am fighting my battles in the promised land. And in Second Timothy four six, okay, at the end of his life, we saw in the beginning, right? Ah, uh, sorry, 4.7, not six, four seven, four seven. Paul is talking about that fight. I have fought the good fight. What is he meaning? I finished my fight in the promised land. I have possessed the life of Christ Jesus. Okay, remember, Joshua gave them rest. They have defeated all their enemies in the promised land. They have rest. He's entering into God's rest. He says, I have rest. You know what? I see my crown. He's not talking about Egypt. He's not talking about desert. He's not even talking about the battles one fights in the promised land. He's talking about finishing that battle. Okay, so 2020, we have to look and say, ask ourselves, Lord, where am I? Where am I? Do a real, real heart check. Where am I? You will be at, Like I said, you could be split in different areas. Some places you have rest, some places you do not have. But God wants to make you a whole man. Not just have areas of rest, but a complete area of rest. That is the invitation of Christ Jesus. In the old covenant, it is go. In the new covenant, it is come. Enter, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That is the penalty. After that, take my yoke. Walk with me. And I will give you rest for your soul. And it's not difficult. He says, it is not difficult. But we have to be willing to leave. If you don't leave, it is not. And the first struggle Christians in our own churches, my own church here faces is, people are not willing to leave. They are nice people. The funny thing is that they are all nice people. They are not bad people or wicked people. They are all very good people, very nice people. But the problem is they love the world. They love Egypt. As long as you live in Egypt, you are living on the edge of the knife. Okay? As I close, let me give you the old illustration. They talk about how the Eskimo kills the wolf. The Eskimo will kill some small animal, whatever he can get over there. Old days, I've heard this story. He takes a very sharp knife. He kills that animal and then soaks that knife in that blood and then keeps it out. And ice forms over it. Okay. Form, form over it. Then he sprays some more little blood over there. And he sticks the knife in the snow. Ice over there. The wolves come in the night. They smell the blood. They smell the blood. And they lick the knife. And they lick the knife, And they lick the blood. Lick. And after some time, the knife cuts their tongue. Cuts their tongue. And they keep on licking. They don't know. It's their blood. And a little later, when the Eskimo comes in the morning, in the morning, the wolf is dead there. You know what? He choked on his own lifeblood. That is what the devil does. He doesn't kill you. He just puts the world over there. He sharpens knife. You know what? And he puts something very nice there to attract you. But in the morning of the day of judgment, you will find yourself lying dead over there. You choked in your own lifeblood. Because the devil deceived you. That's why God says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because anyone who loves the world, can I have that as I close? It's 1 John, chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in me. So on this 28th of December, this is the first lesson. Know your enemy. Know your weapons. And fight the right battle. Don't use the wrong weapons for the wrong battle. It will not work. It will not work. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I pray in this first day of this, last four days of this year, the first lesson is to live in the light of our baptism, that old King James word, reckon yourselves dead, dead to Egypt, dead to this world, dead to the ways of this world, dead to the desires of this world, dead, dead, Help us to live it, Lord. That when we go into the world, we go like you went into the world. You didn't see things. You saw people. And you had compassion on the people. You didn't see things. It's never written, you said, wow, what a great thing. You didn't go on a shopping spree. You didn't do any of those things. You said all these things shall be added unto you. When you went into the world, all you saw was a lost world. You did not come to seek and buy things. You came to seek to save the lost. And I pray, Father, even as I pray all around who are listening, that same Spirit would come into our hearts. That when we go into the world, we go to seek to save the lost. With that Spirit saying, Lord, somebody, somebody, somebody today, the witness of Christ from me would touch somebody would lay a burden today me on my heart to pray for somebody not to buy and hold things. Because you said, do not love the world. Not the ways of the world, the fashions of the world, the ideas of the world. To be smart in the world, to be known in the world. No, Lord, we don't want any of those things. When we go to work in the world, we go with one heart to seek to save the lost. In our workplaces, that's all we want to do. Be the best we can be for Christ. We work unto the Lord yet to be a witness to the saving power of Christ Jesus because we are not of the world but sent into the world as you were sent into the world. I pray we will get that first lesson and we'll root ourselves, our spirits in that lesson and when we go into the world, we go in that spirit, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak your rest and your blessings over everyone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.